Hello, everyone, and welcome to the InCust Review, What Great Schools Do. I'm your host, Dr. Deborah McLaren, executive coach for the National Center of Urban Schools Transformation, better known as InCust. The mission of InCust is to help urban school districts and their partners transform urban schools into places where all students achieve academic proficiency, evidence of love of learning, and graduate well-prepared to succeed in post-secondary education, the workplace, and their communities. Our guest for this episode is Dr. Helen Griffith. Welcome, Dr. Griffith. Thank you, Dr. McLaren. It's good to be here today. Thank you for having me. So tell our listeners a little bit about who you are and how you are involved in the education world. Well, I'm excited to say that I'm a native of San Diego, a product of Southeast San Diego, and I'm a third-generation educator. My grandmother and my mother were both educators in the Deep South, Mississippi. And so I have the opportunity now to be the superintendent at the Price School, UC San Diego, where it's our mission to send our scholars to college. They'll be the first in their families to graduate. Many of them live below the poverty level. We've been in existence for 25 years, and we're excited about that. Prior to that, I opened E3 Civic High in the public library. Before that, I opened Millennial Tech Middle, which is a STEM magnet right in my neighborhood. And before that, I was on the team that opened Lincoln High School. So I'm excited to be involved in the work of urban schools, urban transformation, and excellence in schools. Well, so it sounds like you enjoy opening schools. <laughs> I, too, had the privilege of opening a school. And there are some things in my life that I know that I uh, only want to do once. So I know how much work uh, that involves. But kudos to you for all of the work that you have done. Thank you. So the first question that I have for you today is when you think about equity and excellence, what comes to mind regarding your role? Well, my role is to be a ground zero. My role is to be the model of excellence and equity. Uh, the Price Way happens to be um, what does kindness, respect, and excellence look like at our school. And those three tenets are the tenets that are supposed to drive everything that our scholars and our faculty do. And so in terms of excellence, our schools must be excellent places because we're trying to create the next generation of leaders, the next generation of transformation. You know, I call that the sort of Nordstrom experience. Uh, versus other experiences that I have at places that perhaps don't have the quality of service and the quality of environment that I uh, believe all of us want for our schools. So tell us a little bit more about some of the work that you have done to ensure that students who are below the poverty line in schools and in programs that you have run, tell us a little bit about what are the things that you do to achieve that excellence or to achieve the equity through the excellence? So number one, I believe in the three R's. Every school should have rigor, relationship, and relevance. Our curriculum should be rigorous. It should believe that all scholars can attain at high levels because we know that they're brilliant. We should teach from a place of strengths and a place that we believe that all scholars can attain high levels of academic excellence. Two, Relationship, right? All of our adults on the campus should be loving and have a relationship, and all of our scholars should know there's someone they can trust on the campus. And, of course, relevance. All of our curriculum should point to something relevant, that they understand what they're doing and the why they're doing it and how they apply it to the real world. But that fourth R now is representation. And our scholars in urban schools must see people who look like them. 
We know that the research says that scholars are more apt to attend college by the third grade if they've seen someone, a teacher, who looks like them. And so in my work, I make sure that there's rigor, there's relationship, there's relevance, and there's representation. And at any school I and I come and I hire with the lens toward equity. Everything being equal, then we look at what's next. What don't we have? Who do we not have at the table so that our scholars can see themselves in representation and aim for those high levels that the people who work with them have already attained? You know, uh, one of the things that are one of the main pillars of INCUST is culture and establishing a culture where everyone can thrive. And so the fact that you focus on that at the Preuss Academy is also one of our tenants for INCUST. Another one that I heard you say that is another pillar for INCUST is a rigorous curriculum. And we know that the schools that have been awarded by INCUST for having outstanding success have been awarded because first and foremost, they've had curriculum that has been rigorous. They believe all students deserve to achieve at high levels, but that comes from having high expectations. And so um, I hear that you also do those uh, same sorts of things to make sure that the students are achieving at the at the levels that you expect, even when when others in some cases don't believe that um, some students have that ability. So having said that, what do school leaders really need to know and do to meet the needs of diverse student populations? Well, that's the first thing they need to know, their population. Um, at my former school, we actually had home visits. Um, everybody teamed up in twos, including myself as a school leader, and we went to the homes of our scholars. And we went there for one reason, and it was to level the playing field, to understand that we're coming to you as parents, as experts, to tell us about your child. We asked three questions. Who is your child? What do you want us to know? And what are your highest aspirations that we can achieve together as a team? And as we go into the communities that our scholars live in, it gives a different insight when you're working with that scholar in the school system. When they come into your classroom, you understand exactly where they came from. You saw the neighborhood. You were in their home. You enter into a partnership that's very unique because you've entered into their world. And I believe every school should make home visits and go to see families where they are and engage in a partnership that says we are equal and we're accessing this education because you have the highest aim and we share that together for our scholars. So I think our, our, our communities, our, our educational communities, should know where our scholars come from. And number two, love our scholars, the big L word, right? <laughs> Absolutely. When we, when we show them that we love them and care for them, there's nothing that our scholars can't do and achieve. You've heard the quote about, it's not what you said, it was how you made me feel. And that love element in education, I believe, is underestimated. The power of love, I believe, for educators is what makes the difference in every life of a child. You know, you said a, a couple of things that have resonated with me. I know that uh, one of the professional development uh, opportunities that I had one time with one of my, with my teachers was we told our stories. So each teacher put together their own presentation of their story. We went online, we shared our stories, and it was amazing how teachers who had worked with each other for several years didn't know certain things about each other. And it's important for us to know the stories of, of the different students that we work with and our faculty that we work with because that can give us greater insight in how to meet each other's needs. The other thing you talked about that really resonated with me was the love. 
And I know that another professional development I worked on with uh, with my staff at one point that was very dysfunctional, and, and I came in to try and bring some cohesiveness, is we looked at the five love languages so that we would understand that we have different ways of giving and receiving love. And for me, love is about excellence. It is the excellent way. When we're patient, when we're kind, when we're humble, when we don't want things our way, but we understand that we compromise. And then sometimes I say to folks, sometimes love must just be tough. Absolutely. Absolutely. It's one of the pillars in the a PBIS model where we educate, we incentivize, we celebrate, we motivate. Then at the end, we hold each other accountable. Absolutely. We can't underestimate the power of the stories. I really appreciate that that resonated with you as well. I use the love languages as well as strength space and the strength finder for all of our scholars so they can understand not only who they are, but we understand who we are as a team. Absolutely. And when you know someone, you give grace, right? You really give grace. And I think that grace goes both ways with scholar to teacher and teacher to scholar and teacher to teacher and peer to peer. So we're talking about the power of stories. Do you have a particular story from your life that would give us a picture of who you really are and what is perhaps an event that you believe shaped who you are as a person and why you do this work? I have so many events, but since we don't have all day, I think I'll pick one that uh, really resonates with me. And I shared earlier that my mother and my grandmother are also teachers from the deep south of Mississippi. Mm-hmm. Uh, my grandmother, who lived to be 100, lived with us and shared her stories that it was illegal for my great-grandparents to learn to read and write and how they had to learn to read and write by the power of candlelight and teach each other um, in the still of the night because it was it was not legal for them to do so. But they believed in the power of education to make a better life, not only for them but for the generations to come of who I am a product of. And so they knew the power of education, um, and it was taught to my grandparents, my, my mother, who then passed it on to us, Now I pass it on to my children, my grandchildren. But my mom moved here from Mississippi and to move to Oceanside, at which she started to look for a teaching job. And when she went to sit down for an interview, they told her, don't sit down, we're not ready for your kind. And she kept knocking, and she became the first African-American teacher to sign a contract in the city of Oceanside in 1956. So she tells us a story of perseverance and how education will pave the way for you. And she, many of the teachers now of color stand on her shoulders because she paved the way for them in Oceanside. And so as I came to San Diego to grow up in San Diego Unified, I was given a strong foundation in the Southeast community with teachers who looked like me and built my foundation. And then I bust out to a school that, where people did not look like me. They actually told me the N-word and go home. And that shaped me to say that I never want a scholar to feel as though they do not belong in a school, that they are loved, they're valued, that they're, that they're exceptional and they're unique. And so that, all those events shaped me to create schools where when you walk on the campus, you belong, you can stand up tall, you know that you're going to receive an education and the welcoming environment that you deserve as an awesome human being. Well, I was going to ask you about question number, the next question, which has to do with um, who helped you become the person you are today. But you talked about your grandmother. And I know that my grandfather left a legacy and a mark on me to continue his legacy because of the work he did in particularly the 50s and the 60s during the civil rights movement and all of that. He had some of the laws changed in the state of Indiana 
because of the racism that was occurring there. He also was supported by um, Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. And he marched with him and I understand he played checkers with him too. Awesome. <laughs> but uh, they now have a scholarship in his name at Indiana University. And so I'm humbled by that because I feel as though my my direction has been provided because of my grandfather's footsteps and the thing that the things that he's done. You know, you talked about belonging. And that is a key piece, I believe. It's one that has been identified by Maslow in his hierarchy of needs, that it's very important for us to feel a sense of belonging if we're going to be able to learn how to thrive, not just survive. So the next question that I have for you is, if you could go back in time and meet a historical figure, who would it be and why? Well, you know, I'm really a down-to-earth kind of person, and I'd really love to meet some of my family. And I call them historical because they 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 had their mark in history. Uh, my mother's mother died in childbirth with her, and I would have loved to have met her. I heard so many great stories about her life. She was also an educator, and she would travel through um, parts of Mississippi and work at educating um, other young children. I would love to have met her. I would also have loved to have met my fa- my husband's mother, who raised eleven children in Trinidad, um, in poverty, who are all successful individuals in their own right. But if I had to pick a historical figure, I would have to say Harriet Tubman. She was a boss, and I would have loved to have met her um, because I, what I admire about her most is when she told the slaves who wanted to turn back, you cannot turn back. And she threatened to kill them if they didn't go forward into freedom. And I loved the fact that she pushed someone who didn't want to go because they deserved to be there. And I believe that's what we have to do as educators. Sometimes our scholars don't know who they are. They don't know that they belong. They don't know their potential and their greatness and their brilliance. And it's up to us to force them to come along to understand who they are and to become the potential that they were born to be. Wow. So I have a final question for you. And the final question is, you know, in CUS, the work that we do here for the National Center of Urban Schools Transformation, but now branching out to all schools and working to help those schools transform, especially with marginalized students, what would you say specifically um, is happening or what are the results that you see at Preuss Academy that connect with the work that we do here at NCUST? So our work is transformational at the Preuss School. We have a one-track curriculum. All of our scholars take um, AP courses, advanced courses, or honors courses. There's no opting out. Kind of like Harriet Tubman, you're going to do this. <laughs> and the goal is that uh, we want them to, that we give them the supports when they get there at the sixth grade through eighth grade to be ready for these rigorous courses by the time they reach ninth grade. The work that NCUS does is also transformational in terms of doing things differently to make sure that we have different environments, different systems, and things in place for scholars who typically would not have opportunities and the access to rigorous curriculum, to a a staff that believes that you can achieve at high levels, to the systems in place and the structures in place to make sure that they get there. So I believe that our work is in line with many of the schools that NCUST has supported and visited because we're doing things that are really getting some excellent outcomes for scholars. Well, I want to thank you, Dr. Griffith, for sharing with us today on the NCUST Review, What Great Schools Do, Just to let our listeners know, we will post a new episode of the NCUST Review 
the first of each month. The Incust Review explores topics grounded in educational research. We want to thank you for listening to the Incust Review, and we hope you will embrace what you learn to advance equity and excellence in your school and school districts so that all students have the benefit of a world-class education. You can subscribe to our podcast on Apple Podcasts, Amazon Music, Spotify, iHeart, and Google Podcast. Until next time, I'm your host, Dr. Deborah McLaren, for the InCust Review, What Great Schools Do.